Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I stood in this grocery store in Africa and I thought to myself, you know, why? Why does it look different here? Mike Geller is the founder and CEO of Mike's Organic, the Greenwich, Connecticut-based organic food market and food delivery service. Founded in 2009, Mike decided to start up his business after feeling unfulfilled in his corporate job working in advertising and event planning. He also ran a music studio, which I did not know, Mike Geller. I did not know you had a music studio. Something new every time, Martha. Today, Mike has a thriving business which brings sustainable, healthy food to customers in-store and straight to their doorsteps. Joining me at my farm to talk about sustainable, healthy food and what it takes to build a food business in a crowded and rapidly changing market is Mike Geller. Welcome to my podcast, Mike. Thank you for having me. Finally, Martha. we are sitting down to talk. It is good to be here. I've known Mike for how many years now? Like five? I think, I think like five years, yeah. yeah. And uh, I always enjoy greeting his smiling face. You're always smiling too, which is something that that I know is very hard in business. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, but you know, your outlook is everything, right? And you try to get up, do a good job, be happy and... Do your best with it. Yeah, well, you are now embarking on a very big project, the new store in Greenwich, Connecticut. I know your old store, and uh, mm-hmm. and we haven't really talked about the, about the success of that and the leading up to the new, but talk, talk about building this new store and how big is it and what kind of customer base do you have? Sure. So I've wanted to do this for a while. And you know, I started my business in 09, as, as you mentioned, really as a home delivery service, but I always wanted to be able to interface and interact with customers. So we had the idea for a store and this location became available that was just the perfect place to do it. It's you know at the corner of the busiest intersection in Greenwich, Connecticut. So describe the corner. What's the name of it? Because people are going to go there. 600 East Putnam Avenue. And it's in the Costco area of Greenwich, You know this big parking lot. And 
I wanted to create a real community place for the town, you know, a place people could connect with their food, meet the farmers, eat something delicious. And Greenwich really hasn't had something like that for a while since a place called Heyday, which was there. Um, you may have been there in, in really the 80s and the 90s. So we really wanted to create this beautiful market that could bring people together with their food. And that's what we've done. And we're sourcing all, you know, predominantly from small local farmers, artisans, but we do everything, you know, produce, pasture meat, grass-fed dairy, et cetera. It's been a big lift, a big jump. And in business, as you know, sometimes you have to take those. It's how you move forward and, and do more and better things. Well, I visited there just a couple of weeks ago uh, for the first time. I'd seen it under construction and the store itself bright and cheery with very nice people working in the store and uh, rows and rows and rows and rows and refrigerators full of very interesting products, many products that are not available in the regular supermarket. And I think that that's your appeal and your attraction uh, that uh, you are carrying stuff that nobody else carries. And you can also explain why it's better or different than what we can get elsewhere. Definitely. So... You know, what's happened in our grocery industry in the last hundred years is that, you know, we've kind of become a volume, it's become a volume industry, right? So you walk into a 25,000 square foot store and there are 250 kinds of olive oil. That's cool in one way, but it also is lacking the curation. You know, why are those products on the shelves, right? So for me, my life in doing this for 14 years has all been, it's been all about sourcing. It's been finding the best things and bringing them to people. So when you walk into a store and you see a new product, you know, you need a tour guide to some degree, right? So like we really try to do that for people too. Yeah, well, I, I enjoyed my tour because uh, because I really hadn't seen some of those products before and I do want to know about them. Absolutely. So I think that's uh, the education part of it is very important in a store like yours. Without question, you know, when you're going to bring something different to people, there needs to be an explanation of what it is. We give people cooking instructions. You know, we tell people what's coming into season. You, know, you and I were talking a little bit before we went on about what's going on with fruit in the Northeast right now. And communicating that information, not just about the product, but about the farmers, the people that grow the food. You know, you know so well about agriculture and I've lived it for a long time, but not everyone knows, you know, what goes into growing that tomato or growing that peach, right? right and right. telling that story is important, but really like getting the best things under one roof where you can go do your whole grocery shop, but find like an amazing pecan butter from Nevada or an amazing locally made granola. You know, that's what differentiates, I think, us and a lot of these small independent grocers from those big chains that we're very accustomed to going to. And they've always appealed to me. Small, small organic markets has, have always appealed to me. We had the organic market in Westport, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. uh, it was right next to my yoga studio. So, mm -hmm. so I always would stop in there and see what they had and and try to support their business because when you buy at a place like Mike's Organic, you actually are supporting a tremendous sort of network of young, avid, good gardeners everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm involved with the Maine Organic uh, Farmers up in Maine, and they are working so hard to spread the word about this kind of food and the availability of this kind of food and to keep the ground alive where they are actually farming. How big is the store? The store is about 3,500 square feet, and we have packed it. It's, it's comfortable, it's spacious, but it is packed with incredible product. We opened up on a rainy Saturday in April, and we had, I think, over 2,000 people come through during the day. It was bananas. Was like, that the biggest day you ever had? That was the biggest day <laughs> we ever had. Uh, we all recovered, and it was also our first day. You know, We had trained, obviously, some of our cashiers and stockers, but... 
It's like kind of going to the driving range, then playing on the golf course. Training is one thing and the game's another. Right. Uh, it went great. We had one broken jar of tomato sauce to check out, which was a little bit hairy. But um, other than that, it was it was great. And the response has been incredible. You know, I was I was saying before, you know, I had a woman come in today and she ate a strawberry, a local strawberry. I brought a few today and she's from California. And she said, you know, this tastes like it, it did when I was a kid. And I hear that every week I've been open since I started the business. I've heard either... This tastes like it used to when I was a kid, or this tastes like it used to back home if someone's from another country. And there's a reason for that. We can get into it, but there's a real reason for that. Yeah, well, there is. And uh, and I have a small array of uh, cherry tomatoes, two kinds of strawberries, the first of the cherries. Yes, that's the right. The Bing cherries. I love Bing cherries. And the apricots, I don't know. I haven't tasted the apricot yet. Yep. Are they delicious? They're, they're good. Oh, okay. They get better. You know, the thing that, we, and you know this, I'm sure too. The first picking is never the best and they get better and better and better throughout the season, yeah. right? We're so conditioned to have everything every day of the year in this country, right? In terms of produce, especially, but there really is a season for things and not all of us know what it is, but like with the apricots mid-June, you know, that's the time for them. And cherries, are these cherries from uh, California? These cherries are from California. They're local ones. You know, we've gotten hit pretty bad with the frost up here. So we're yeah, let's be- talk about that because uh, Mike was just describing that the stone fruit which the cherries, the plums, the peaches, the apricots, the nectarines were very badly damaged in the frost, the late frost that we had. Even though the trees had blossomed beautifully, and this is all Hudson Valley and mm-hmm. and Northeast, yep. uh, had blossomed beautifully. My plum trees were incredible this year. Mm-hmm. And then we had a frost after the fruit had formed mm. and they all fell off. Correct. There's not a plum in my plum trees. It's it's happened to a bunch of farmers. And again, going back to it, right? Like being able to tell people that information is so important. Like I have an incredible farmer. His name is Mark. And he's been doing this. He's the fourth generation fruit farmer in the Hudson Valley. His fruit is spectacular. I mean, his peaches, the donut the peaches, is everything. It's called Grider Farm. It's in Middle Hope, New York. I was talking to him a few days ago and he said, Mike, you know, we had a, a day in February that was 42. The next day was minus 10. And then we had this late frost and he had the fruit actually was on the tree. Yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. The fruitlets, the little baby fruitlets. And a blossom can withstand, that's one of the things is, you know, with late frost, right? A blossom can withstand 27, 28 degrees for a night, but the fruit, which he found out from Cornell, can't. So literally all of his fruit dropped off his trees. And if you're a fruit farmer, that's it for the year. It is. It's not like tomatoes. There's no plants behind it. And then they start to scratch their heads and wonder maybe a subdivision (laughs) is better than a fruit orchard. That's right. And I've seen so many fruit orchards just go the way of a a development of subdivision. It happens. And his attitude was, you know, farmers are some of the most resilient, um, positive people that you'll meet. I know you've met a lot and I have too. And, you know, his attitude was just so incredible. He said, you know, Mike, that's farming. He said, you know, you have big years, does you have, have small years. Does he have a secondary crop no, of anything? No, he's a fruit farmer. I mean, he has apples, you yeah, know, but yeah. even his apples were hurt, which oh, is minor, very unusual. Minor, I have, it started off so many apples this year. I was so happy because last year was a bad year yes, down for here. apples. And the same thing, they're a little bit thinner than they were. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed because apples are more resilient. They are, and they they blossom a bit later. You know, they're they're better adapted to the cold. Yeah. But um. But yeah, that it's a, it's not a great story, but it's it's a good story to tell people about what what's happening with the farmers, and we always have that information. Well, how did you start? When was your interest in vegetables and fruits and locally produced stuff 
uh, kindled? When, mm-hmm. when, did, when did that happen? As a child, you know, I'm half Italian, half Jewish. I'm a pizza bagel. And my grandma, Ida, lived in the Bronx with my grandpa, Vinny. She had a little vegetable garden out back. And I used to go there and we would always be harvesting eggplant together. And we'd be cooking together, all those things. And then as a child, I just was always so fascinated by nature and the outdoors. I grew up an outdoorsman and fishing and gardening and all those things. And I just always have loved food and especially how it's grown. I went off to school and then- Where'd you go to school? I went to Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, New York. And then I I moved to Atlanta and started this hip hop studio um, with a partner because I've always loved music as well. And, you know, from there, just did all these different interesting things. I recorded Snoop when I was down there. Obviously, I know you know Snoop really well. And then I started doing these big celebrity events, you know, with Shaquille O'Neal, others, and I loved it. And it was interesting advertising a few others, but I just never felt fulfilled, never loved it, you know, truly felt passionate and never thought I was doing anything good. So I quit and I spent three and a half months living in the Kalahari Desert in Botswana, in Africa. I've been there. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most beautiful places on earth. I would agree. And what did you do there? I was building a photographic safari camp. I just wanted to get away from the world for a while. I was 28 years old and trying to figure out my path. And I had this burning desire to do something with food, but didn't know what it was. So I went out to build this camp and I lived out there. And, you know, I went to a grocery store in Mound, Botswana, which had about 100,000 people. And all the food looked better than here. You know, the eggs weren't refrigerated because, as you know, when the hen lays an egg, she puts the bloom on it and it won't spoil, right? The tomatoes were small and juicy and all these things. I stood in this grocery store in Africa and I thought to myself, you know, why? Why does it look different here? Then I went into the bush. During my time there, I was charged by a leopard, almost (gasps) bitten by a cobra in a plane that lost an engine. And I fought a 2,000 acre brush fire um, with leafy branches. We literally put out a, a blazing fire with branch. I never, I'll never forget. Branches. I'll never forget the fire starts and with the guys and I, I'm picturing like a plane flying over, you know, like for forest fires out yeah. West and they go and they have a machete and they're cutting branches off a tree. And I was like, what the hell are you guys doing? They're like to put the fire out. And we fought that fire for 11 hours. Oh. Uh, it was there. I, I never, I'll never one quick one. I'll never forget. I was standing. We made a fire break to prevent the fire from getting to the camp. And the guy that was with me said, don't let the fire cross this. And it was about a hundred yards long. And I'm standing on this fire break and the fire's coming towards me and it's trying to cross, you know, this sand. And I was running back and forth. It was 150 degrees. I'm running back. I, I thought I was genuinely just going to have a heart attack. Are you all getting, are you getting singed? I, I, I burned all over. I was coughing up black. It was absolutely crazy, but um, I did not let it cross. Good. And it was just an incredible experience. And it really put me on the path to what I'm doing what I'm doing now. So where did you learn about real gardening? Did you take a job anywhere else? I did. So, you know, I grew up doing it, uh, as I mentioned, and then I went and I worked at Stone Barns. Really? And I worked with the head farmer, Jack Algier. What a wonderful, wonderful gardener he is. Incredible. Incredible. And so knowledgeable. It was really, it was really an eye opener for me because I knew about farming. I knew about gardening rather, and a little bit about farming, but, you know, sustainable agriculture in the Northeast is something that's really evolved a lot, especially over the last, you know, 20 years, let's say. And just being able to be there and every single day learn something new and practically, not just reading about it in a book, right? Being out there and seeing, you know, 
you plant peas on St. Patty's Day. Well, like I didn't know that when I started, right? Mm-hmm. So you start learning all these things and I was pruning apple trees. And it really, I, that was my moment where I decided to start Mike's. I was sitting under an apple tree I just pruned. And I said, you know, I want to start a business that directly connects small local farmers and consumers. And that was, I was really one of the first people in America to start a farm to home delivery service, which is what Mike's began as. And my time in Africa, my time in Stone Barns were huge factors for me in doing that. Oh, that's, that is very good experience. And and the delivery service, um, especially, I mean, you, you hit, sort of hit it right because COVID mm. came and you could deliver to homes. And so that really helped you a lot. And you took advantage of it in the best possible way. We did. It was a wild time for sure, being an essential business and all that. But, um, you know, I probably had like 35 or 40 farmers tell me they would have lost their farm without Mike's Organic during that time. You know, if you're raising chickens for Gramercy Tavern in the city, let's say, and they close overnight and they don't know when they're going to open, you still have your birds, right? right? So we stepped in and we filled that void for so many small farmers. It was um, one of the most gratifying parts of my time in business. Tell us about the offerings that you actually create at at your own kitchen. Definitely. So as part of this whole expansion of the business, we bought a commercial kitchen. So we're making everything from, you know, passion fruit chia pudding to incredible, you saw the curry chicken salad when you came in, beautiful sandwiches, I mean, organic eggplant parmesan, you know, wonderful soups. It's really about working with the seasons and working with the ingredients you have and being able to create something delicious, but that's also healthy. We're using grass-fed beef, pastured turkey, all those things. Um It's so much fun to be able to create. And then we have a food truck in the back. So we do dinner on Wednesdays and we made like grass-fed cheesesteaks last week. We're doing breakfast sandwiches on the weekends. We have a dairy cow coming down for the kids to see. So the prepared foods are great and also a neat item. You know, people, not everyone cooks and not everyone can cook every night. So it's important to have that. So what's your best-selling product from the new store? What's the best-selling product? I'd like to know. Okay, so (sighs) bananas. Bananas. You know, I hate to say that. It pains me so <laughs> deeply to say that. Uh, bananas, probably number one. And then, so strawberries, blueberries, always sell well. Boneless, skinless chicken breasts, always sell well, right? We actually had this really cool animal cracker from Jackson Hole called Persephone. They are delicious, like animal crackers for adults. Those sell incredibly well. And then I think as you go through the seasons, right, like sweet corn moves extremely well. And then also the dairy, like we have this incredible A2 milk from Cooperstown called Family Farm said the milk sells incredibly well. We're bringing chocolate milk down from a farm in Connecticut pretty soon. So uh, I need to, I need to find a really great milk because I'm making my own yogurt now. Mm. And the milk, milk is not the same every week from the same dairy, is Mm-mm. it? It's what the cows are eating, how they feel. Absolutely. And so I've been noticing like my last batch of yogurt was sour. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. When the color of the milk changes as the cows get out on the grass. Mm-hmm. Right, it becomes more yellow when they're on the grass because of all those nutrients, right? And, right, they that they're more getting. and you can taste the grass, you can taste the terroir in, in the milk, exactly. just like you can with wine, right? So the milk changes throughout the season. And it's also everything does though, like every week it feels like Christmas to me. <laughs> you know, when something new comes in and you're tasting it for the first time, and eating seasonally is not easy, right? And again, we're conditioned kind of not to do it now with grocery the way it is. But when you get back to it, you know, it also makes it more special when you're waiting for something. 
as opposed to just having it every day of the yeah, year. Yeah, like I'm waiting for sour cherries. <sighs> Me too. I, I love the Montmorency cherries and I love cherry pie and I love everything cherry. Sour cherries are, do you like the the, the black or the red sour no, the cherries? Red the red, the really tart ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for baking, those are exceptional. Oh, they're amazing. Sour cherry pie might be my favorite pie. It is my favorite yeah, pie. Yeah, it has to be. So I'm waiting for those. I I do have several trees, and uh, they seem to have some fruit on them. I'm they wait, do. I'm waiting. Are the birds after those for of you here? Of course they it's are. It's incredible. The bird, they, I, I have so many birds right now, too. Yeah. Because of uh, the climate change. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. But, but you are challenged so greatly now. The small, exclusive, expensive grocer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is challenged by the big the Albertsons, the, mm-hmm. the around here, the Citarellas. Sure, the Kroger's, yeah. all of them, because absolutely. They're all, because they're all competing with you in, in many different ways, including price. So how do you deal with that? It's a great question. So, well, one thing is the differentiation, right? Is trying to have different products. You know, if you have the same exact product as a big box store, then, you know, the price becomes much more of an issue, right? It's, I'll be honest with you, you know, it, you can't compete on price with them. You just can't. Their, their volume, margins and their mar- their volume is big. Their margins are very tiny. Are very small, yes. right? Because they, they've become true volume businesses, yes. right? The way you compete is on incredible product selection, fantastic customer service, and creating a phenomenal experience when people come in, right? So you have a great product, you have great service, and you have something that they can do there that they can't do elsewhere, right? We had a a sheep shearing last weekend at the store. The same farmer that used to shear your sheep in Westport, his daughter oh. used to shear your sheep. Um, so, you know, you have a sheep shearing. We have a fresh mozzarella maker coming on Sunday to make fresh mozzarella in the store, right? We have the dairy cow coming with her calves next weekend. We have a pasta pop up. We're doing a lobster fest. You know, all those things of really getting people back to experiencing something through their food is what is what is important in it. But for the big box stores, you know, it's also killing the variety of what we have here in this country. You know, in 1900, there were 6,000 varieties of apples in the US, right? After prohibition, there were 2,000 because people cut down apple orchards, they were making hard cider. And now you see the same five or 10 in every grocery store in America, right? But that, you know, for us, we'll have 50 or 60 kinds of apples in the fall. So it's really great customer service, awesome product set, and then creating a phenomenal experience for people. And you'll have to do a cider making day. I want to do that with you. I want to get you down there. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. 
Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So let's talk about these strawberries. You have sure. local strawberries, which is it's June, almost it is. June. Yeah, is it it's June yet? Beginning of June. Yeah. yeah, is it June first? I, I don't think even I don't know. know what date is either. I live in the store. So we have local strawberries, which are small and red. And what variety are these? They're early glow. Early glow. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Harry's berries, mm-hmm. which come from California. And I'm going to take a bite of the Harry's berry. Yeah. And now uh, they've really taken over from Driscoll, haven't they? <laughs> They have their, you know, just like with apples, you know, there are about 600 varieties of strawberries. Are you sure they don't inject these with I, sugar? sugar? I mean, Do they inject these with sugar? People, people <laughs> can't believe the flavor. And, and there's a really good reason for that. So, you know, typically we're growing one or two varieties commercially in this country. Albion's one of the main ones. And there's actually less sugar in those strawberries because it gives them a longer shelf life. Ah. So you can get from California to here on a truck, bounce around, and still look like a strawberry. The reason they're white through the middle typically is because they're picked green and either gassed or torched under a heat lamp to turn them red. So you've got a green strawberry that looks red that was bred to have less sugar, right? Harry's berries, they grow two, predominantly two types, seascape and gaviota, which are ever-bearing. So ever-bearing strawberries produced throughout the whole season. I love a, those. They're incredible. You can get them, you know, for a much longer time. Local strawberries, two to three weeks, sometimes three to four weeks. So are these grown in the ground or on benches? These are grown in the ground. They are. Yeah, we've been out mm. to that farm. Yeah, they're, and it's a phenomenal family. You know, the Gein family, Harry was the grandfather. And it's also a microclimate for them. You know, it's, it's the perfect conditions to grow strawberries in. Yeah. They like it not really higher than mid-70s during the day. I would, say that, I would say they're three times sweeter than the early glow. They are. And they have a very high price point, you know, and that's when people come in the store. How much is a quart? A quart's $20. 20 dollars 20 What's a quart of the early glow? $7.99. Big difference. Huge. But if you are making a strawberry shortcake for your fancy dinner party, correct, uh, you are going to want Harry's berries because they are clean. Yep. They are absolutely beautiful. They're, They're jewels. They're jewels. They're, well, you know, we do this. I've said this to people before, but, you know, you go to a restaurant, right? And you don't think twice about paying $18 for a cocktail. Right. And when people come in the store, some cocktails are twenty four dollars now, twenty four, twenty five, oh. thirty. Right. You, so it's crazy. But we but when we see strawberries, the best strawberries potentially we've ever had, we think twenty dollars is silly. And by the way, they're both fine, but that's an alignment of value. Yeah. Right. And for us, to me, eating the best strawberry you've probably ever had, that's actually good for you. That'll last longer than 20 minutes. And no pesticides. They're grown certified organic. There are no pesticides. See how great. It's incredible. Because they're one of the fruits that would absorb pesticides. So The so, top of the dirty dozen. Yeah. Strawberries always are. Yep. I know someone that went to a commercial, I won't say the, which farm, but a commercial strawberry farm. And he was out there in the morning, they're having breakfast. And there was this mist over the whole field. It's like, oh, you're watering the strawberries. And they said, no, those are all the chemicals we're using. Uh. You know, so it really is, food is the surest medicine or the slowest poison, right? And, you know, when we eat healthy, clean food, 
you know, and you know this, Martha, as well as anyone, you know, that is what gives us the fuel and the energy we need to sustain us. It's, it's what's more important than food, right? Like there are few things that are more important. So anyways, hairs are sensational. The tomatoes, where are they from? These are, these are the small cherry tomatoes. There's both the golden, beautiful golden yeah, ones. And the, the sun golds and, and the larger the ones. Larger Orange, uh, red, oh, they're so pretty. They're and gorgeous. And so tasty. They're, they're, so there's a really cool story about them. Are those, so are those greenhouse? They are. Yes. They're, but here's the deal with them. They're from a place called Longwind Farm up in Vermont. I'm working with them for a while. They're grown in soil. They're certified organic. And they are greenhouse grown, which of course, right? Another month or so, we're not going to need greenhouse, right. any greenhouse strawberry, uh, tomatoes rather. They taste like August. They taste like summer. They are they so flavorful. They're one of the things when people come in, I always like let them try things. And those are one of the things I have them try because it truly is an incredible tomato. And we'll have all the local ones soon, but to get them a little bit earlier from a great organic farm in Vermont uh, is something that we definitely want to support. Who's your customer? Customer is typically has been a mom uh, between the ages of probably 30 and 60, let's say, who cares about eating good food, but also wants the convenience of getting it in one place. And the prepared foods have been really important for that as well. And I think it's just someone who is food educated, but also is looking to make changes in their diet wants to incorporate better things into their life and also prioritizes flavor. We have the people that support local agriculture and that's like their priority, right? But that's not the majority of the customer. It's people that want great food, that want to get it in one place and that also want to have an experience and hear a story about it. We always say, you know, we don't sell food, we tell stories. (laughs) And that really is the basis of what we do is telling the story of the farmer and the product. Do you have an in-house bakery yet? Yes or no. So we have this amazing woman. Uh, her name is Allie. She was a, a pastry chef at 11 Madison Park in the city. So she is baking for us. Uh, it's mostly on the weekends right now. So you come in. We have the sheep sharing. She baked these adorable little sheep cookies with amazing butter. They were buttercream. They were outrageous. She bakes strawberry rhubarb pies for Mother's Day, Harry's Berries Cakes. So she does bake. Uh, we work with some other great local bakeries, Flower, Water, Salt, and Dairy, and Wave Hill in Norwalk, and others for bread, sourdough, all that. On my way home from Pilates this morning, I stopped at LMNOP. Have you been there? I love that place. Yeah, and she's a, a, a single baker. Yeah. A, a woman, of, I think she has three kids. Mm-hmm. The place was packed. Yeah. People are looking for, and she's sourdough. Yes. The croissant or sourdough whole wheat, and they are very tasty. Everything she makes now is very earthy and delicious, not too earthy. Excellent, excellent technique. So as prices have skyrocketed, it all comes down to price again. I mean, mm-hmm. I really feel for people who tell me when I give them a, a bag full of peas from my garden and how how absolutely grateful they are because yeah. peas, fresh peas in the in the grocery store, are they cost a fortune. They do. Sugar and, snaps especially. And they said... And asparagus from the garden tastes so different from Completely. from most other asparagus, the ones that are shipped from who yeah, knows where. Sure, Peru. And, yeah, Peru. Yeah, and the shipping takes its toll on the on the taste of the of the vegetable. They get jet lagged like we do. But it's very very expensive. You know, so what are we going to do about that? Yeah, Mike? This yeah. is a this is a nationwide problem. It's it's, it's a, a big, worldwide problem. It's a big problem. It's it's a it's a it's an especially big problem here, right? Because of our food system. And, you know, one of the issues that you find is, number one, small organic farms and medium organic farms are not subsidized by the government at all, right? So they're receiving no subsidies, whereas these larger industrial farms, there are many of them, I spent a lot of time in the Midwest, and mm-hmm. I've been to a lot of these big, you know, 
um, factories. Yeah, factory farms, or whether it's just you know ten thousand acres of GMO corn. A lot of them are living on subsidies, and they're they're not making almost anything on the crop because the inputs are so high. You need a two million dollar, five million dollar combine to pick the corn, right? And all these chemicals, etc. So you know, on a national level, until we start providing real assistance to smaller organic farms, those prices can't come down, right? It's just it's not something that can happen. Right. Um, we can get it as low as possible, but. It takes longer. You know, an average chicken from a factory farm is a 28-day-old bird. From a chick to 28 days, that's how mm. old it is till it's a broiler, till it's a bird you're eating. Two and right? a half pounds, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you have, you know, these farmers grazing them on the grass where it takes three or four months. So you're feeding the chicken longer. You have more labor against it, you know. So it's really, it's a very complicated and, and difficult issue. Uh, the best way we can change it is by supporting more and more small local farmers, right? The more support we give them, every time you buy something at a store, you're voting, right? You're voting for a certain type of food. And the more we vote for something that's locally grown from a great farmer, et cetera, the more support they have and the more they can get their prices down, right? But everything, by the way, just on a, you know, just because of inflation, everything's expensive now. I oh, mean, it is. even commodity food's expensive. Mm -hmm. We have tried as much as possible to keep the prices as low as we can. You know, we want to be affordable for people, um, but you also do pay for what you get. And that's part of life too. You know, like there's, there's a balance there. We do a ton of stuff with the community. You know, we've worked with so many organizations to provide, you know, Perishable food is the hardest thing for people to find, especially people that are food insecure. Things in cans or boxes are easier. So we've done a ton of work with local charities to try and bring more food to people that don't have access or the means. Mm -hmm. Michael Cullen created the first grocery store in 1930 in Queens. And the entire principle, which essentially the whole grocery industry is founded on now, is pile it high, sell it low. That's what grocery has been, right? What we've been talking about. But the waste... Enormous. Enormous. I was at a local grocery store the other morning. I wanted some fruit. I found a few other good things. But then I saw the shop, one of the nice girls who works there, going through all the fruits, taking out what she was not saleable. Mm -hmm. And the big shopping carts full yeah. of barely bad. Yes. I mean, it was still edible. I said, oh, what are you going to do with that? And she said, oh, garbage. Oh. And so what is the attrition rate of, of food in a grocery, fresh food in a grocery store? So it depends, it depends on the store, right? For us, it's less than 5%. Now that 5% also though includes, so what we would do at Mike's, right? Like a few things. One, like we would- You have, we a, would, you have a kitchen. We have a kitchen, yeah. So that's number one, right? Like, so when you have that kale that comes in perfect, just picked, and then it's been there for a couple of days, let's say, and it's still lovely, but not- as beautiful as you right. want it, that becomes your kale white bean soup, right? So number one, and then number two, you know, we work with a place called Food Rescue and they come several times a week. And if there are things that are not really saleable and they're not gonna go to the kitchen, we donate everything. That's good. But in the grocery industry, you know, the way, there, there are two types of waste from the big grocery industry. One is before it even gets to the store. So a green bean has to be a certain length, width and color mm. to go to one of those stores, right? Like if you look at people, you know, we're all, Different shapes, different sizes, right? Like that's what life is right. on your so, plum tree so, out there. So they have to go elsewhere. They have to go they, throw them away. They have oh. to, a lot of them get discarded, right? So, you know, and, and that is this symptom of that industry, which is promoting uniformity as opposed to diversity. And that to me is one of the big problems with, with big grocery, right? Is like, go to that plum tree out there. You're going to see plums of all shapes and sizes. A couple have little spots on them. Some will be perfect. They're all delicious. 
So that is the waste is a big issue in grocery. It's a, I mean, want to remember that bread was like 30% or something. I mean, like it's just astronomical. And then you have people in this country that are, don't have access to great food. But from these big, big grocery stores, they do not go to the homeless and they don't go to shelters. They go they in the throw garage. them away. The vast majority goes. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, we had like a pet goat and I went to the grocery store. I was like, do you have any carrots or apples that are, you can't sell anymore? I'll, I'll buy them from you. Yeah. So no, we're not allowed to sell them for you. We have to throw that's, them away. That's exactly. And I mean, to it defies every aspect of logic. I know you compost here. I compost, you know, I mean, big help to the environment for sure. So, uh, so profit margins on your prepared foods are much better than on, on grocery. Correct. Pro, you know, prepared foods are one of those things where you're aiming for a gross margin, you know, around 45 to 50%. That's your gross margin, right? Because then you have all your other costs against it. Um, you know, it ends up being a, a much smaller net margin, which is what we're talking about with the big grocery right. stores. Uh, prepared foods can usually be a bit better. Um, you know, sometimes around 60% depends on what the product is. If you can use things you're at risk of losing, right? Then it's a double win because A, you're avoiding the waste and B, you're creating a delicious product that has something on the shelves. So prepared foods are always a great driver, a margin driver, and they're just such a huge area of need for people, you know, especially with great clean organic ingredients in them, mm -hmm. which there's not a lot of that around. Not at all. So um, back to the beginning, how did you finance your expansion? Yes. So initially, when I started the business, I financed it. My, my grandfather passed away, and he left me $20,000. And that's how I started Mike's Organic. And I self-funded the business for 11 years. In the beginning, I did everything. Delivered, picked up from the farms, dealt with the customers, swept the floors. It gives you such a great appreciation for what it takes to be a small business owner. And then we went through this expansion. I actually went out and I did, I did a fundraise, which was the first time I've ever done something like that in my life. Mm -hmm. And I raised it all from private investors to build out the retail location, to buy the kitchen, to grow out the delivery business. And it was an enormous education. It went well and we were successful, but fundraising is a, a second full-time job. And I was doing that in addition to running the business. It was a great experience. It really was. Construction's another one, a really fun thing to go through. He's Everything, being facetious, listeners. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> they tell you twice as long, twice as much, and you always laugh and say, that's really funny. And then, then the it reality tends hits. to be true. And um, I went through some really hard times, you know, to get the place open. I really did. I read this great story about Walt Disney. Um, you know, when he has had the idea for Disneyland, he was in his mid thirties living out in California, obviously. And, um, you know, he couldn't afford to buy food. He was eating dog food. And he went to the banks to try and get a loan to open Disneyland. Have you heard this story before? No. Okay. If you had to guess... How many times do you think Walt Disney was turned down for a loan from the banks? Oh, a hundred. That's a very good guess. Most people say like four, 300. Mm. 300 times. And you think to yourself, you know, on the 299th time, you know, how could he not have just quit? And it's what it teaches you about being, especially when you have a vision or a dream, right? Is persistence, perseverance, endurance. That is what, and you know this as well as anyone, I'm sure, like, that's what it capacity. takes. They always talk about the five D's, you know, the bad things, the mm -hmm. death and dementia, yeah, yeah, yeah. disaster. <laughs> I always talk about the five P's, which are the perseverance and the persistence and the patience, probably. Patience and yeah. perspicacity. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's incredible. But you do need that in business. You, you need it in life and in business, yes. right? Yes. And it truly is, you know, life is a river and we're all on it. And you're moving with the current and sometimes it gets bumpy and sometimes it's smooth, but you keep moving forward. And then you have this beautiful store now that you see and people see the beautiful store, right? But yeah. no one ever sees what went into getting it open. 
Yeah, well, your investors did. They and, sure and did. And lucky them because yes. they took a calculated chance on Mike Geller and they're going to see some very nice results. Yes, they will. Thank you for saying I, that. I really, really think that's great. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A.com. So you wrote a letter to customers each week when the pandemic began. Mm. And this ran for more than 100 weeks. You, you were in one of them. I was, yeah. yes. So why'd you do this? It started during COVID and, you know, we were open, as I mentioned, during, you know, the entire shutdown, all that. And a woman came in the shop and she walked in the store and, you know, her eyes were kind of darting around and she, are you going to have milk? Are you going to have eggs? And she was really scared. You know, this is March 12th, right? Yeah. So um, I went home and I wrote a letter and I just said, hey, you know, listen, we're to we about, you know, around 10,000 people on our newsletter. And I said, you know, we're here for you, whether it's for a bag of rice or a good conversation, you know, we're all going to get through this together and we are here for you. And the response was incredible. And then it just morphed into this incredible chance to talk to people every week about things completely outside the business, about my kids growing up or about farmers or about, you know, when you were on there about um, I think it was for National Women's Day. And, you know, it's so hard to connect with people on an emotional level as a business owner, mm-hmm. right? It's so challenging. And the response we got, the people, people would literally, I'd see people in wherever in the street and they would say, I cried, you know, when I read your letter and we did them for over two years. It was just, it became such an integral part of the business. And for me personally, like we started putting together a little book of them, um, something that really, was extraordinarily meaningful. And they will pay attention and they will come in when the first local sour cherries <laughs> arrive. I will be down in Greenwich right away. We'll be there for you. Uh, yes. So 
the words connection and transparency are very important in your kind of business. How come? Because those things are almost entirely devoid in our industrial food system, right? So you're lucky to know the country of where something came from in a grocery store. Forget about the farmer, what's on it, what's in it, when it was picked, right? It's, it's going back to what we're accustomed to when we were younger, or certainly if you go to the market, let's say in, in France, right? Where you're talking to the person that made the bread, right? And we've just lost that in our food system. We're so divorced from food, from how it's grown, all those things. So for People us- People don't have an idea what rhubarb looks like no. in the garden. Someone thought it was cel you know, celery, yeah. right? I mean, like, you know, or that died, the rhubarb leaves are poisonous, right? You know, or whatever. You know, it's illegal to publish a photo of the inside of a commercial slaughterhouse in America. It's illegal because if people saw what was happening on that level, right? Like maybe they wouldn't want to eat meat. So for us, it's really important to connect people to their food, not just to their food, but to the people that grow the food. And then the transparency of, again, what's on it, what's in it, when was this picked? You know, how do I cook this, right? Like those are all things that we as consumers should be entitled to. And we just don't, you know, you go into a grocery store and I would argue that, it's one of the worst retail experiences in America is a grocery store. There is typically you're walking in, not talking to anyone, getting everything you can. It's like going to the DMV, get everything you can quickly and trying to get out. That's not how we should be shopping for food. Do you know how I shop in a grocery store? No, tell me. Well, I like to go like at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> and I go up and down every single aisle uh -huh. and I look at all the prices. Yeah. And I compare product to product. That's the way I shop. Yeah. We're lucky around here. We have one kind of local uh, family-owned business that's mm -hmm. really kind of, everybody talks about it, how nice yeah. it is. And uh, even even the cheeses are nice. And mm -hmm. um, But it's, I, I compare. And then I read things like in the New York Times, they have the... Uh, the like consumer reports there that they have wire cutter it's called mm -hmm. yesterday they had olive oils the olive oils that they talked about the five or six of the best olive oils that they have found out of 200 they tested i only knew one yeah and one of them's in a kind of a plastic squeeze bottle and that was their number one pick yeah and i was shocked that that's their number one but they i'm going to get it and see what it tastes like yeah we we sell that all oh which one is that it's called grassa that's right yeah g r a z e so if you have it then yes. it must and they said it's number one grassa is great so, okay well grasa. that's good to know where is it from grassa is from spain and grassa means grease in spanish yeah. and um yeah we it's it's phenomenal yeah there are two sizes one's for cooking one's for kind yeah, of drizzling. how come the soft bottle cuz it's I think it was just a brilliant marketing decision uh, because a lot of people, a lot of like a, if you're a chef, you're always transferring it to a squeeze bottle so you can regulate how much oil you're yeah, using. Yeah. Typically, of course, you want it in glass, right? And uh, they put it in plastic. It is very, very good oil hmm. and it okay, is very well, convenient. I'm going to buy some. I would have brought you some if uh, I had known that. It's, oh, well, uh, I'm going to buy some. I'm sure her, like just olive oil in general. You know, it's the, so confusing. And I just want to talk about your events too, because you talk about having the, the cow and the calf mm -hmm. to come because people don't have a clue what a milk cow looks like, do they? Mm -mm. And uh, and how to, how to get actually get milk out of an udder. I try very hard to, to educate young people in all of that because my, my grandchildren love milking cows mm -hmm. and, and sheep mm -hmm. and goats. Mm. Hard, hard very, to do. Very. But once you know how, you know where your milk's coming from. Yeah. We were actually, I was at that farm yesterday. 
Uh, it's a farm called Shaggy Coos in Easton, Connecticut. Amazing female farmer named Brittany. She's so wonderful. And she has these gorgeous Jersey and Holstein cows. Oh. And I milked a cow yesterday. Oh, aren't they beautiful they're, jerseys? Oh, oh, the jerseys, the, the, the eyelashes. Oh, yeah. and the the fa- beautiful. I mean, Jersey cows are brown. Holsteins are black and white. That's just right. so that you can differentiate. But the jerseys, uh, Holsteins give more milk. Correct. And one Holstein can give up to 80 gallons of milk a day. It's unbelievable. Two milkings. One. They're doing two milkings. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And then a Jersey cow gives less milk. I, I learned all of this from a farmer up in Maine mm-hmm. who had her own dairy farm. And the only dairy farm on Mount Desert Island, there used to be like 80 dairy farms on Mount Desert Island. And now there's none. She went out, she went out of business. Dairy farming is a very, very, oh, very hard, so very hard and, business. And cows make a mess. They do. Do <laughs> I was um, milking cows yesterday and getting pushed around by one. I of wanted them. I wanted so much to have two really good rich milk cows, yeah. so that I could make cheese here. Sure, and I have put it off and put it off because <laughs> the mess. They're they're a they're gigantic. Yeah, they I are. I mean, you stand next to them; they're huge. They do make a big mess. They are um, amazing animals, though. And she actually has a for people at home. You know, the Holstein that's like the Ben and Jerry's cow. Yes. Like if you think about what a Holstein looks like. Yeah. And then the jerseys make the A2 milk, which has been this whole thing. Oh. You know, the A2 milk is actually easier for your body to digest. It only comes pretty much from Jersey cows. So, um, yeah, this woman, Brittany's coming down on June 10th to the store. She's bringing the mom named Pearl oh. and the two calves. And then we're going to be drinking chocolate milk that is right from her cows. Wow. What it's, kind of chocolate does she use? Uh, she uses this gray cacao. I have to ask her what the... Um, what the name? What the is. name was? Yeah, but it was fun. I mean, it was like it was like drinking hot but, chocolate. But, but hot again, chocolate. listeners, if you have kids, what a nice opportunity to to see where your milk comes from. I look at that carton of milk on my counter or the bottle, mm-hmm. and I think, gosh, like even this morning, I was opening. I had one that had a little bit of milk left in it, and I and I make a cappuccino every morning. But the just opened carton of milk makes a better cappuccino than the one that still has just a little bit in the bottom of it. Yeah. It's just weird. But I think once once air hits it or something, is that what happens? It, it is. Yeah. The air gets to yeah. it. And and the other thing, you know, Brittany was telling us about was just pasteurization, right? Like, you know, ultra pasteurized milk, which is what you'll typically get at the grocery store, is cooked to 185 or 190 degrees for an hour and a half. So it's essentially boiled, right? It's oh, just yes. below boiling, yeah, right? You've taken everything out of it. It'll then last over two months, yeah. right? So the way she's pasteurizing, a lot of these small farmers do, probably the woman in Maine just as well. Just pasteurizing. That's right. It's no just homogenization. no homogenizing. Exactly. And it's low temperature pasteurized, yes. 140 degrees for 30 minutes, yes. which makes it safe. But all the amino acids, are all the nutrients there. are still intact. Yeah, and I that's a totally believe big that. difference. In and you can't nutrition. make good yogurt unless you have that kind of That milk. is exactly right. So uh, speaking of marketing, yeah. uh, who handles that for you? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it, I have an incredible um, kind of social media and communications team, two wonderful people named Michelle and Laura. And, you know, I, I think it really comes down to trying to be earnest and genuine with people. Especially with food, right? People spot spot a lack of authenticity in food so quickly. So, but listen, when you're a small business, right, you don't have a marketing department. Right. You know, you don't have, you know, you, you have to, it's always about doing as much as you can with what you have, right? And then as you grow, ideally, you bring on more and more people to help you grow. Where would you like to take your business? Really and truly, you know, I see a big opportunity for something like what we're doing. And, you know, I think that, 
I'd like to start off, you know, with Fairfield and Westchester County and opening more stores, growing our home delivery business. I really want to expand into the consumer packaged goods space with our products, you know, which can be sold at a larger level and just really and truly continue to support as many small farms as possible um, to help this local food movement grow and be an anchor for it in this area. That's kind of one of my main priorities. To learn more about Mike's Organic, visit mikesorganic.com. Uh, follow at Mike's Organic on Instagram. And if you happen to be in Greenwich, Connecticut, visit his store at 600 East Putnam Avenue. Uh, you will not be disappointed. And you will eat a beautiful, beautiful quart. Is this a quart? That is a quart. A quart of Harry's Berries. I have eaten half of one during this <laughs> podcast. Uh, thank you so much for visiting. And uh, very, very good luck with your amazing enterprise. Thank you for having me, Martha. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.